0: The idea of give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. So, the word meditation is similar, not the same, exact Greek word. If and I forgot my Septuagint, I knew I forgot something. Um, but not not the same Greek word that would be in the Septuagint to translate this. But it's a very similar idea of. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 of all creation groaning uh, for the redemption. Um, but it's 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 not necessarily describing um, someone who's just sitting around moaning and groaning. Sighing. That's another... Yeah, it, it's a... It, Uh, that gets kind of close as well Um, I have meditation in the new King James I have um, sighing in the new American standard what do you got on the ESV on that groaning NIVs sighing Brian the uh, uh, version of the week okay First one, yeah. Well, that that usually could have a an effect, a little effect, yeah. My meditation, okay. Um, thanks, Brian. But the uh, translated meditation, but that doesn't really completely give a good definition of what the Hebrew is trying to convey here either. Um, Because the basic meaning of this word is to murmur. Which someone would murmur to themselves and in in the ancient world most of the time when people read they did not read silently. Even if they were by themselves they would read out loud but they would they would read it in such a way that it was really quiet. But part of it is because there were no spaces between the words. And so, and that must have been a hard way to read. But they were constantly having to sound it out, that makes sense. Sound out the words that they were reading, and so they would be able to make, uh, be able to understand the sentence they were reading. It, it seems like reading was much more difficult then than it is, you know, even now. Um, but so the basic meaning is to mur- kind of to murmur, kind of speaking under your breath. But a lot of times uh, we, we think about someone who's grumbling under their breath as a complainer, right? We, don't, we all know someone who likes to mutter under their breath and, you know, usually it's an indication that someone doesn't have enough courage to speak up and say what needs, right? <laughs> Um, let's move along. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's also the idea of a very low murmuring sound during a time of intense sorrow. And that's where sighing comes into play here, where the, the Christian standard bible's uh, interpreters translates this uh, sign, but it really relates to the person's innermost thoughts, the person's innermost thoughts accompanied by an emotion with it, and if the emotion is intense enough the innermost thoughts will eventually become verbalized, if, even if it's at a very low whisper. Does that make sense? Kind of like when you want to say something, maybe even derogatory, let's say you smashed your hand, and but you can't say it out loud. But you almost like whisper it. Or uh, I knew a guy that every time he missed a basket, he would do that, right? And um, so that's sort of, and interesting that, that he's, he's saying to God, listen to my word, Yahweh, and consider my sign, consider my meditation. Um, and then it's kind of the Hebrew couplet, um, Give ear to my words, New King James, and then verse two: Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. Right? So, but didn't he just say that? Give ear to my words. Give heed to my voice. Didn't he? Did, what, why is he saying it twice? Is it vain repetition? Beth says no. It's important. Because the sound of the cry, that's interesting that the CSB and translates it that way, because the sound of the cry can portray the emotion behind it, right? You know, it's like when Harv walked in tonight, I hadn't seen him for a bit, so I was like, hi, Harv, right? No, I was like, hey, Harv, Right? There's a little emotion behind that, right? Hi, Harv, right? Hey, Harv. You know, there's, there's a difference. And, and that's, that's part of what I think th- this is looking to unpack. And so, no, it isn't a vain repetition. Remember the problem with vain repetition, Jesus said, is that they thought because of their many words, they would be heard. So they ran out of what to say, so what do you do? Because if your theology says, I've got to keep praying so God will answer, and you run out of words to say, what do you do? You hit the rewind button and you go for it again is what you do. That's, I believe, part of what Jesus is really referring to about vain repetition. So the idea of vain repetition, because remember, this is a prayer, okay? Okay. Part of part of uh, the thing about what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about vain repetition is the motive behind doing that. Are you stretching? You it would be more like saying that prayer that you're just talking about so many times in a you get out of the driveway. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that would be one way to look at it. Yeah. Um He knows what you need before you ask, right? Yeah. Yes, he does. Uh, Because I think we would have a very different relationship with God if he didn't ask us to pray. And if he didn't want us to ask, or if he didn't ask us to ask, and if, if we thought it, and then we'd, we'd, probably, we'd probably mess it up. If we thought it and that God granted the request, we'd probably mess it up. I'm, I'm pretty, we, we mess everything else up, so why wouldn't we mess up something like that? And um, you can, as we, we've already read this psalm, and so I think you, you can hear the earnestness of where David is. Um, It's another one for the choir director uh, for the flute with the accompaniment. And I thought of a very strange story about someone playing the flute that I probably shouldn't share with you, so I'll just leave it at that. But I was like, how did he learn how to do that? Um, And uh, then he he played by ear. And... um, he played guitar and he'd only been playing for three months and he was better than I was. And, and then he would say, people tell me I should go to college and study music. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what, and, and they were probably right. But the thing is, when we were trying to jam, I think he was tone deaf. So all that mechanical skill, you know, just right down the drain. Because I think he was tone deaf, which was really strange. Um, it was a guy I grew up with. Um, actually, the older brother of a guy I grew up with. But anyway. Um, so, you notice what he refers to to God. He says, listen to the sound of my cry for help. That's what the New uh, American Standard says. And he refers to God as my king and my God. Now, when David wrote this, Probably he was king. In fact, I'm pretty comfortable to say he was king when he wrote this. And so, um, he's putting, putting the entirety of his life in the proper perspective, is he not? I mean, he had his moments... But I I would say that that by and large, David consistently, although not always, but for the most part, if you look at the entirety of his life, and this is just my take on his life, he he consistently had a correct understanding of who he was before God. Um, Which is a lot more than what you could say about Really the almost the entire line of David some, he had some there were some good kings in the line of David um, there were a lot of bad kings in the line of David now there were even worse kings on the line of Jeroboam when the kingdom split uh, and in fact they i don't think it really I think they had like one good king, maybe two um, and even them they were problems but but he understood uh, and also this idea of the king, um, he's going back to the covenant. If you think about it. Again, 2 Samuel 7. God made a covenant with David. It says your one of your descendants will sit on your throne. I'm paraphrasing it like crazy, but of course, one of your descendants referring to Jesus will sit on your throne forever um, and to me, I look at Psalm five and realize David understood without reading it because they weren't written yet the old the latter prophets, Ezekiel being one of them that referred to David sitting on his throne. It's not a reference to David here. It's a reference to the Messiah, the son of David. And he under again he he as powerful as he was, and yeah, he abused his power from time to time. But he he also had this this still had this understanding of who he was before God. Now when he abused his power, I think maybe that understanding went out the window. That's just my own thought. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm going to have some good conversations with David in heaven. I think, I think we all can. Uh, what was going on in your mind when you, you know, anyway? But, um, but he's asking for help. He's begging God to listen to him. Now, why would he do that? Because he wanted God to listen to him. So is it possible that perhaps he was at a place where he wasn't sure? I'm speculating, of course. Especially after all the good things I've said about David, right? Wanted to make sure that God was paying attention. Or because he wanted God to listen to him. In other words, he wanted God to really hear his heart's cry. Because this is probably not, and we've seen it early, we saw it in Psalm 3. Not really the first time that David is praying this, is he? Nor will it be the last. And so, um, So, this really, to me, brings up a question. The prayer probably has not been answered. The deliverance probably has not been completely provided. Is he praying to God again because he wants to get God to do what he wants God to do, in other words, deliver him. He's asking for a good thing, right? Or is he? This is a, to me. This, there's a nuance here. Or that's possible. Is he not sure of himself, or is he just simply checking in? You know, I know that I'm still on hold. You ever been put on hold like forever? I remember when we first had a, uh, the internet. Remember when we first had the internet and I was on hold. I'd worked all day and there was a problem and they put me on hold and I knew it was going to be about an hour. So I'm laying in bed um, and I fall asleep and I started waking up to, hello, hello. <laughs> and right when I got to say, yeah, yeah, I'm here, click. <laughs> so I had to start all over again. Um, His understanding of his unanswered prayer is him being honest with himself and everything else. And is it possible that he's just checking in? Does that does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm what I'm getting at, Pat? I have you will or <laughs> in the morning, I my yeah. Okay. Okay. Expectantly. Some watch, yeah, so he could be just checking in. Okay. We weren't in verse 3 yet, so no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. But you answered it. But, yeah. So, he, you know, this could be part of his checking in, which really takes the idea of him vainly repeating himself really even off the table really and i go back to what jesus taught us with the the king who feared neither god nor man but because the woman bugged him to death he granted her her request just to get her out of the way and if an unrighteous man, king will do that how much more will your father in heaven love you right so in the morning First of all, it tells us that this is the morning prayer. There's a lot to say about that. Um, Oh, Lord, in the morning, uh, I will present or... Sorry to go back and forth for some reason. I will direct. ESV says what? Present, direct, what? Prepare. That's a good translation. CSB says. Yeah. I will direct my prayer. I will prepare my prayer. Okay. I plead my case. They take a different angle. What's the NIV say? I lay my request before you. Brian, you still have the uh, Septuagint open for verse 3? Yeah, it's a a different slant. Now, it's interesting, again, the Septuagint was the the Bible that was of primary use during the time of Jesus. Um, I'll just say that and keep going. But um, this word direct or prepare, it literally means to set in order. To set everything in order. Okay? Um, it's used by the priest, Exodus 40, verse 23, of how the showbread in the holy place was set in a particular order. Remember, you had 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were put on the table, and it was known as the showbread. And it it was on, I believe, the right side of the holy place as you entered in, and it sat there for a week, and then the priests would eat it, and then um, they would replace it with a new batch of of showbread. So um, it, it literally means to prepare, to set in order. Um, And it can also be used, and it is used, in a few Old Testament verses of preparing the sacrifice. Although there's no indication that a sacrifice is being offered here. However, I won't say that too quickly. Um, In the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning, I present my prayer. Present, prepare, direct my prayer to you. By the way, my prayer is in the ita- in italics because it's not in the original Hebrew. Uh, to you and be on watch is what the New American Standard says. I prepare a sacrifice. I didn't look that up in the ESV. That's that's interesting um, because. It refers to, in Exodus 29, the morning prayer. I'll do this out of the ESV just in case it has any other surprises for me. Uh, Exodus 29. Now remember, he's using priestly language here, right? I want to zero in at about um, verse 42, but I want to back up a few verses before that. 38, Exodus 29, 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And then it it tells you how to offer the first lamb. Uh, In verse 42, it says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. All right? The morning sacrifice. And the evening sacrifice. But we're looking at a morning psalm. So tap into the idea of the the morning sacrifice. Which they offered a lamb. I couldn't tell if it was sinking or not. Uh, which they offered a lamb every day, every morning. And they offered a lamb every evening at twilight or as the sun is setting. And furthermore... God says, it shall be a regular burnt offering. I'm going to read it again. I just read it. But throughout your generations, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, so at the entrance of the tabernacle, the the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, well, I will meet with you and speak to you there. So there's your anticipation that God is going to speak. So in this prayer that David is praying, he says, in the morning, right, you'll hear my voice. In the morning, I'll present my prayer to you and be on watch. So because he's, he's using a few words in here that, are, that could be understood as priestly language. Uh, Brian, could you do me a favor and turn a light on, please? Thank you. Using words that could be interpreted as priestly language, but uh, the idea of, um, yeah, that's better. Thanks, Brian. You can turn that one on too if you want. I don't care. That was optional. There it is. Perfect. Is that better, guys? You're welcome. Sorry, Bill. Bill. Of the back row, which is the one to the right, you don't need those on at all. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. No, to the right, your other right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, that right. Just push and let it go. Anyway, that um, is sinking. So, again, he's using, he's using priestly language. So he's tying in his, I think this is important. He's tying in his private prayer life into the public time of worship and prayer for the nation of Israel. He has a separate prayer life, obviously, because as he's praying this, and it is a morning prayer, as he's writing this, and it becomes a psalm, He's not necessarily praying it in the morning the first time, but he's he's setting it up to be like a morning prayer. So, that tells me a lot of things. One, he, he just, it isn't just a, his relationship to God is is vibrant and it's fluid. And, there's a lot of back and forth, a, a lot of exchange between him and God. But he's not like, it's not like he's flying by the seat of his pants here, right? He, he stays within the structured order that God has ordained for the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? You know, he's, he's not, it's not just me and uh, Jesus and me under the apple tree type of mentality here. You know, and so he, he ties his personal devotional life into that which God has ordained for the nation. I think that's really important because it's of, I, I really don't think it has changed much. And, you know, and I, I get this with folks from time to time where, you know, they, they don't want to come to church, right? Well, depending on where they're going, I don't know that I blame them. But anyway, um, you know, I can just worship God out in the woods, right? You, you've talked to people like that. Well, and I, I agree with them. Now, how much worshiping they really do, I, I don't know. And that's even, after a while, that's not it. I feel like that's almost like a pointless conversation. But, um but God has established an order, has he not? He's established an order for the church. Whether we, whether we like it or not. I, every Sunday when I wake up, I don't always wake up every Sunday going, oh, yeah, it's church. You know, <laughs> sometimes I wake up feeling like I have a hangover and I didn't drink anything, right? You know, I mean, it's, I have those kind of mornings sometimes. But, um, but nonetheless, he, he, he has his personal devotion, which... Obviously was vibrant because if he was, now I'm going to speculate here. So don't put too much weight into about what I'm going to say, but just give it some thought. All right? If he was taking care of dad's sheep when he was young. Is it possible that he did that sometimes on the Sabbath? I think, yeah. So, you know, so, he didn't always get to come to the assembly of the people. Did he miss a feast or two or three? Remember the three compulsory feasts that all the males are supposed to attend and come to Jerusalem? Or wherever the tabernacle was, which was in Shiloh at times. Did he miss some of those? He probably did. So, he david is he's an interesting figure because he has an and i mentioned this i think 2 weeks ago he has an incredibly developed relationship with god it's obvious and it's obvious that he he and i think he even understands a whole lot more than what he's writing at least i get that impression by reading the psalms that he has written that he 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 just has just this full understanding that can only happen if the Holy Spirit enables him to understand. And that probably usually happens when you spend enough time with the Holy Spirit, enough time with God enough time with the, the son, enough time with the father, um, and make that a priority. In other words, he's getting stuff that he probably wouldn't have gotten in the tabernacle or from the Levites who came and taught. I mean, it, 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 there's an incredible depth to his spirituality that's, that has God's fingerprints all over it. And... And yet again, he's not throwing out the baby of the system, if you will, with the bathwater. He recognizes that God has ordained the morning and evening sacrifice.